The UTS Law Student Society acknowledges the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, upon whose ancestral lands our university stands today. We would like to extend this respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across the nation, particularly to the elders, both past and present, who remain to be the traditional custodians of knowledge for these lands. Guess what, guys? We back! <laughs> we back again! Hey! Uh, this week, we have a very, very exciting firm to talk about. We're talking to White and Case, uh, an international legal firm who have offices uh, basically in uh, any city you can ever think of. Um, I don't know, they're one of the largest firms in the world. In the world, um, and they have offices, yeah, literally all over the all over the world. So we're getting um, some great international um, guests on today, yeah. which is exciting, uh, Emma. Yeah. So I think these guests, although they're in the same team, they have quite different and diverse stories about how they got to White and Case in Sydney, um, and some really great advice about applying to global law firms and what you can expect as a grad. So I think this is a great episode to listen to if you're thinking about applying for clerkships or a grad job or you want to learn more about what it's like to work for a global firm. Mm. All right, so should we get into it? Um, uh, yeah. All right, so hi, everyone. We have Andrew and Sheikha here from White and Case. Thank you both for coming on. Um, I think a great place to start for both of you, um, maybe just tell us a bit about yourselves, your experience, and how you got to White and Case. Yeah. Um, do you want me to go first, Andrew? I do, as usual. <laughs> Um, so yeah, my name is Shika Hegze. I'm in the project finance team at White and Case Sydney, um, and I'm a junior associate in that team. Um, I've been at the firm for about a year and a half now, um, and I was previously at a mid-tier national law firm um, where I did my grad role um, and my first year of being a lawyer. Um, and yeah, I moved to I moved to White and Case to be exposed to, I guess. Um, more complex deals in the project finance space um, and obviously also have that exposure to um, an international platform. Um, but yeah, Andrew, do you want to give you a little summary of yourself? Yes. Uh, I'm Andrew Holtzman. I'm aggressively American, but I <laughs> trained as a lawyer in London um, at a firm called Hogan Levels, which is a US-UK firm. Um, and uh, after qualifying in the UK, I also spent some time in Dubai um, and then uh, came here to White and Case also in the project finance team. Although I am an associate, uh, so I guess I have one up on Sheikah's junior associate, but no, just kidding. She's just being modest and I'm being self-aggrandizing. And did you come for the weather or what drew you guys what drew you to, <laughs> Sydney, what drew you to Sydney? Yeah, the Thai food pretty much. All right, interesting. <laughs> Great. Well, I mean, thanks for the little summary. Um, it's kind of how we roll in with all the guests. Um, and we're going to continue that. If you could give us a little summary about um, the firm a little bit. Uh, I can start this time. Um, so White & Case is an American firm primarily. I mean, that's where a, lo a lot of its uh, base is located, but it's a very global firm. So, um, it, so America is like the seat, but it's not a New York firm, which is a little different from a lot of the really traditional American firms, because it's, I think, mainly located in DC, um, although their offices are in America. But um, 
and they also have offices in virtually every major financials and corporate center um, across the world. Um, it's a firm that's really strong in infrastructure and finance work. Um, I think that would probably be what people might say it's known for um, globally. Um, and also I think just generally globally known as a leader um, across practice areas, um, which is what these big behemoth firms kind of are. They just do everything. Um, that's the nature of the, the beast. Um, I also think White and Case has a really strong Asia presence. That might be something that stands out about it. So as compared to a lot of the other firms you would see that have big names in London, I would say it's probably a bigger name in Asia than, than most of those firms would be. Um, and I guess Australia, putting it in context in Australia, um, Australia is kind of like an outpost for White and Case. So uh, it's a pretty recent practice that has been built up and it's been built up around project finance. So that was the sort of founding um, practice area and other areas have kind of grown up around that, supporting it and also um, feeding off of the lovely work that uh, it attracts. Um, but it is a full service law firm in Australia. So there are practice areas, all the practice areas you would expect more or less at a big law firm. Um, although it's still kind of a baby in Australia relative to its other offices. Although I have to say one thing that's crazy about being at White and Case in Australia is I think we recently looked at a list of all of the biggest infrastructure assets in Australia, renewable infrastructure assets in Australia. And we personally, Sheikha and I in the last like few months have been on the financings or refinancings of the majority of the <laughs> largest wow. renewable assets in Australia. So it is really a firm that very quickly captured that market just by bringing in some of the best partners and in, in the space. Yeah, I think uh, as well, um, what's quite often brought up is the fact that White and Case has a very particular business model in, in the sense that instead of, you know, growing at a, an alarming rate and, you know, grow, like expanding and having partners in every single practice area, we tend to try and dominate every area or practice area that we um, offer our services in. So, um, I mean, we recently just have been building up the debt finance team. We've, we've, um, just, we've just incorporated an antitrust team as well. So um, we're very particular when we, when we want to, you know, hire someone into the Widen Case family um, and also, you know, start a new practice group because, you know, we sort of take pride in the fact that we deliver services to top end uh, clients um, and, you know, we deliver the best services in the market. So, um, yeah, that's, that's also one of the reasons many people um, are quite um, keen to be involved in wine and case or you know join wine and case just because of the reputation um that that it has um but uh yeah we also have a really good uh graduate program and clerkship program um which i'm sure both of you are probably quite uh, quite aware of um and we offer um grads which is quite a unique experience um an international rotation um as part of the graduate process. Um, and in, in the Sydney team, anyway, we, we offer um, rotations in Hong Kong, Tokyo, um, United Arab Emirates, Dubai. Um, have I missed any, Andrew, that we usually mm. send graduates to? <laughs> I, I Singapore, don't know. I think that's Singapore. Singapore um, as well. And I th also, I think, um, worth noting that you can go to Melbourne as well. So that you have one guaranteed 
if you choose to take it, guaranteed international uh, seat. And then you could also go to Melbourne um, if there's a practice area you're interested in. Right now, Sydney doesn't have uh, as, as big a scope of practice areas as Melbourne has. Um, and so you can go to Melbourne if there's something you're interested in, um, which is, I guess, potentially unique. I don't know which other firms do that. Wow, that's really cool. Um, and I think we're going to touch a little bit on clerkships um, and graduate positions later. But I think generally, what does it mean to both of you to work in a global firm? And I guess what impact does it have on the work that you do? And how important is it to you to be working at a global firm? I guess, Andrew, we can already see that in practice, considering where, where you've been, um, where you've come from. But yeah, what does it mean to be a global firm? Um, I guess, so... I guess putting it in context, um, most of our clients uh, do not think about things regionally. They they think globally. So the the banks that we represent are are investing in deals in every region and every country. They might have focuses, um, but they're they're not just thinking about um, Australia certainly, um, and and they probably aren't even just thinking about just Asia. And what that means is that they are looking at when when they negotiate deals, they don't just look at the deals that people are getting in Australia. They're also looking at the deals that people are getting in London and Dubai and New York. And um, it's important that we be aware of the global trends in finance and how these deals are structured and um, what, what clients expect. Also, when you play in that field, clients just have different expectations in terms of things like how quickly you turn things around and the level of accuracy with which you do your work, the level of quality with which you produce your work. Um, so like Shika will often review my work to make sure that it meets that standard <laughs> as opposed to its usual <laughs> tendency to fail to meet it. But um, there is just kind of a, a different language that all of these firms that are globally dominant have. And um, frankly, when you talk to another lawyer who's at one of these firms, you kind of understand there's, there's an unspoken understanding of how things should work and the order in which things should be done. And that's all just kind of common across the world. So I've worked in three countries now and it's really not different. I've issued legal opinions. Um, well, I haven't issued them. No one would be interested in my, my personal legal <laughs> opinion, but I've drafted legal opinions to be issued in the UAE, London and, and Australia. And they really have the same basic substance. And the reason for that is just that people around the world have come to expect the same things from these firms. Um, so I guess that's really kind of what it means to be at a global firm is to play in that field. Um, it also means that you can go wherever you want. So, I, you know, I could go to New York next year and work, or I could go to Japan and work, um, all extremely within reach in my career. Um, so it's not just your international secondment as a, as a grad, you also, you know, that's open to you throughout your career, go where you want to go, um, and, and where the work would take you. Hmm. I might follow up on that with you quickly um, and sort of ask is for both of you, is that sort of what uh, motivated you to want to work with White and Case or were there sort of other motivations? Because from a from a perspective at uni in terms of especially clerkships and graduate roles, I think a lot of people around me talk about um, the firm as the opportunity they want to take because it gives them these international options um, and opportunities. And I wonder, if uh, you guys have any sort of personal experience with that sort of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely moved to get that international exposure and actually, you know, have exposure in, in relation to project finance deals on an international level. Um, my old firm, given it was a national firm, 
I was kind of sort of pigeonholed in a particular area of property finance and you kind of reach a point where when you're a junior you want to be exposed to as much work possible in different practice areas and um and also having an international scope adds a, an additional layer of um, complexity and also having you know the opportunity to travel overseas as well and work in different offices i mean widen case is quite a very well connected um, international firm um, and it's often encouraged in the sydney office um, just having the opportunity itself to be able to work in different offices and you know make connections with other associates around the world is is something that i think is a really valuable um um offering i guess that wine and case um gives to junior associates um and and these colleagues you'll you'll probably work with um for years on end um and you might even be working with them in the same firm when once you move around a lot of associates move around to different um international firms um, as you progress in your career and even if you want to have a career change or not a career change or change practice groups for example um, it's good to have contacts in um, not only different offices around the world but also different practice practice groups um, and I think wider case is a, a excellent example um, for a firm that really you know pushes you to um, you know foster new relationships and, and maintain those relationships as you progress throughout your career. Um, and, you know, from my time um, over the last year and a half, um, I have worked with quite a lot of different offices in Wine and Case um, globally. Um, and, you know, that that's that's for, sort of forced me to step out of my comfort zone and, and make develop these new relationships. And now whenever I go to, for example, the UK, um, I'll have you know, associates that I can that I can go to, and if I ever have any English English law questions that I need um, um, answered, I can I always have someone in my back pocket that I can always go to for advice. Um, so I think that's quite a va valuable um, aspect of why the case being so global. You can make these um, relation relationships and develop these relationships from the other side of the world, um, and it, it really provides you with like a platform to sort of develop and foster those relationships as well as we have quite a lot of um, different um, programs in place. We usually actually hold a international World Cup um, every year um, that's usually hosted in one of the European countries. Last year was Berlin um, where you, you sort of meet up and meet all the associates and senior associates and partners um, across the world um, and it's a good opportunity to network and you know really solidify those international relationships um but yeah that uh, for me it was the complexity of the work together with um the opportunities to to go overseas and develop international relationships because that'll be very valuable for anyone i guess um in terms of their their legal career mm -hmm. yeah um thank you very comprehensive answer and i think a lot of what you touched on both of you also leads into our next little section where we want to touch on um, particularly clerkships and grad roles um, and kind of as a global firm, how do you look at hiring clerks and hiring people from uh, for graduate roles? Well, I mean, one thing is it's obviously we can't talk about the recruitment of other firms because we just don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I guess uh, the, the biggest thing is you're going to have to be good <laughs> and 
Yep. I think good means um, not just good at uh, law um, and like doing well in your academics, which I think they do just expect as a as a given, but um, you really need to have commercial awareness. I'm sure you guys talk a lot about commercial awareness and how to get it and what it is, but um, you really, that's probably the biggest thing that, that would differentiate if you wanted to kind of get into a higher tier firm. They're just going to look for for students who understand the commercial world and how it works and and the lawyer's place in it and the place that they want to have in it. Um, so, you know, what that really means probably is like read the FT. I guess you guys in Australia have some equivalent, I suppose, in, I, I suspect inferior to the FT, but read the FT like, uh, uh, you know, every day if you can and and look things up in Investopedia if you can't understand the FT because at first it feels like a foreign language, but eventually be able to read the articles um, reliably. Um, but I think things like that um, and just really understanding how the um, world of finance functions and, and what um, lawyers do in it is what they're really probably going to look for that you might not need as much of if you go to a smaller firm. Yeah, I think just, yeah, also to add to that, it's really... Um... Uh, a, a lot of it in terms of what the partners, I guess, are looking for, for that final tick of approval before you're awarded the, the grad role or the clerk, vacation clerk program is that they look for attitude. So the, the main thing, I mean, as a vacation clerk, as a grad, you won't know quite a lot of the work you'll be you'll be given and a lot of the tasks you'll be given you'll be doing for the first time so there's really no expectation um for a grad or a vacation clerk from our perspective but the only thing that we do you know really really value is attitude a good attitude and that uh, you know real eagerness in the practice area um that you've been assigned um so i think going into an interview really do your research and in, in relation to that partner and their practice area and where, you know, their, their story, how they've got to the, where they are today. Um, and yeah, it's just really just showing an, an eagerness to learn um, and that, you know, um, yeah, just a positive attitude really. And I think that's that's one of the main tips that they, they look for, to, especially towards the end of the, the interview process. Um, I know that's something that I also um, look out for as well because you know you want you want to work with someone that's eager to learn and and not just doing it for the sake of doing a vacation clerk program um, or you know grad program. So um, that's that's one of the main things I think a lot of the partners anyway um, um, at our firm look for. Yeah, that's really insightful. Um, it's my clerkship here, and a lot of the people around me are going through the clerkship process. So it's really interesting to see and to hear kind of that attitudinal uh, focus. And I think that's really insightful. A lot of listeners would be really keen to hear that. I think pivoting more towards your personal kind of role at White and Case, what would you say both of your day-to-day jobs look like? What kind of things that you do? I'm um, just giving a general overview of what you do and looking at that also on a kind of global scale, um, how you interact with global partners on a day-to-day basis. Oh, a living hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'll let Andrew answer that one. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, look, context, we're both uh, NQ associates and the NQ, as opposed to your grad, your grad years, you have some fun, you chill out a little bit. We let our grads go home early quite a lot. 
Um, uh, they get to have little cruisy trips abroad and stuff, you know, that you get that. And then when you hit NQ, it's really time to put in what you might call the sweat equity, which is just how you build your career. If you want career options in the future, you got to build them during our time. So that's just context to say she and I are both in the time when you really grind it out. Um, there are ups and downs. So sometimes you're really busy. Sometimes you're not that busy, but um, a lot of the times you're really busy. Uh, but yeah, so she and I generally what we would be doing, um, gosh, is everything. But uh, I guess as a context, what we're doing is um, helping to finance renewable energy infrastructure. So we represent either people building infrastructure projects or the lenders um, who are going to have it built. And depending on which side of the deal we're on, we're either reviewing documents that are written by the people trying to build the thing for the lenders and deciding if we can agree to the terms of those documents or we're writing those documents for the sponsors and arguing with the lenders about the terms of them. Um, Sheik and I as junior associates are going to be really driving the deal. So we're going to be leading the grads and getting the lovely CP process, which is basically the box ticking that needs to happen when you're doing a billion dollar, I mean, we regularly do billion and plus dollar deals um, very regularly. So when you're doing a deal like that, the volume of stuff that just has to happen is hard to explain in a brief amount of time, but we're the ones kind of driving that, making sure everything's getting done, figuring out what's left to do. Sheik is always reminding me what I forgot about that I should have mm -hmm. thought of. Um, and asking me to insert the addresses into documents, which we fight <laughs> about. Um, and then um, on the bigger scale, you know, there are also the actual big chunky documents like the facility, the, the document that actually says the main terms that you're gonna give this money on and get this money on. Um, those kinds of documents, the senior associate is gonna be kind of leading the negotiation, but we are very much involved, especially at White and Case because of the huge volume of deals and the significant size of those deals. Um, so we are right in there in terms of negotiating the terms of those big documents. Um, and we're also supervising the grads all day. Um, yeah, and in terms of global stuff, stuff just hits you and you don't really, like today, I looked at a, a prospectus based out of the US and I drafted the Australian portion, just like explaining some Australian law provisions relevant to the companies to describe the risks that need to be described in the prospectus. Um, and that just came to us from a US partner who said, you know, can you do this? Um, and conversely, we are often uh, leading the jurisdictions abroad. So we're often the lead counsel and we need to liaise with um, lawyers in Spain. Um, where have we done, Chica? Spain. Mm. Um, we do Spain a lot because there's a big uh, contractor that, that's there that we would work with. Um, I've worked with Korean council before. Um, you might work with Japanese council, UAE council, that's pretty common. Uh, Bermudian council, Cayman Island council, those are very common. Um, so we'll be leading those lawyers and doing what their part of the deal. Um, and, and that's when we get to be the bosses. That's kind of the most fun part for being that's a junior associate lot. because <laughs> you get to be in charge of the local council lawyers. <laughs> so yeah, that's the most, that's the most, uh, that's the most we get to boss people around, get to call them up at like, 2 a.m. their time and say, hey, I need this document. Let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's kind of a lot of our day today. What do you think, Shika? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good um, summary of what we do day to day. I think it's also important to note that whilst there may be, you know, a majority of tasks that are quite 
mind numbing and you know it's <laughs> it's not that. well well a you small know, minority of cats a small are minority a small minority um a but lot of them I, are mind bending but mind <laughs> <numbing>. <laughs> that's a better way to put it i think um no but i think in 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 like the grand scheme of things every every task that you do and every piece of work that's assigned to you um you should look at it in a positive light. Um, every every document you look at contributes to your learning and you're being exposed to a different type of document perhaps or um, a, a different way a specific item is probably drafted. Um, so it, it's easy to get bogged down with, oh, like I'm, I'm just reviewing this checklist again for the millionth time or I'm, I'm reviewing this, you know, extract of minutes. But um, everything adds towards your learning and your exposure. So I think it's important to, you know, not get too bogged down by that and sort of value um, each task that you've been you've been assigned and, and there's a broader purpose towards it. And you might not realize it at the time, but um, in hindsight, you you'll know, oh okay, I saw I saw this drafted in a previous extract of minutes. Um, this is this I can use this similar drafting here and this scenario is sort of tweak it in a certain way. But um, yeah, like it's it, it's it's quite um rewarding once you kind of get to that stage and you kind of piece together all you know what what you've learned from past tasks um and that you know it's yeah it's quite rewarding to to know that you're actually learning and you're being exposed to different work types even if they're not the most exciting um everything sort of adds up in the in the the grand scheme of things um towards you know you growing in terms of your in, in terms of your career and your legal career. So um, yeah, I think that's something important for grads to grads to note um, as it, you, you kind of advertised when you're applying for the grad programs, um, the really exciting parts of law and, you know, going meeting clients and going to closing, closing deal drinks and that kind of thing, which is definitely there. Um, but you also, there, there is also another side of it. So just to be wary of that and, you know, value that as well as as it being a, a, a good thing um, and not necessarily a bad thing it's mm. a great piece of advice I think something I need to listen to a bit more taking advantage of the uh, somewhat monotonous things um, in life but <laughs> I'm sure I'll get there eventually um, and I think moving on from that in a similar sort of um, vein I wanted to ask you guys in terms of giving advice to law students I might frame it a little bit differently and ask you both what is a piece of advice you would give to yourself when you were in sort of your second, third year of uni, which you think maybe you, you could have, you could have made life a bit easier if you had taken that at the time. Andrew, do you want to, do you want to start off or? <laughs> I don't know if I count because I, my education <laughs> path is so different. Yeah. So I think you, she could better start and then I'll go. Yeah. Right. Well, she should set the tone. Hmm, I think looking back, uh, I wouldn't stress out as much as I did. I remember at the time, um, you know, you're, you're constantly thinking about, okay, what's the next step? How do I, you know, okay, so I need to apply for clerkships this year. I need to make sure, you know, I have enough experience so I can, you know, show in, in the interviews for clerkships that I've, I've developed all these experiences is why I should hire me as clerk. And then after clerkships, it's the, 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 the stress of, oh, will I be offered a grad role? You know, so you're kind of, con you're constantly looking ahead, which is a natural um, response to have, especially when you're, 
you're going through law school and you're surrounded by similar law students in the same position as you and you know you're competing um in in all the various exams that you have going on so there are a lot of um i guess third party or i guess distractions um that can also contribute to your stress but i think just focus on focus on yourself and your own learning i guess and and not try and get distracted by any anyone else or the stresses of you know a, you know compare maybe don't try and compare yourself to other law students um in particular and just focus on yourself i think that would be the main point of advice that i would give my second year to third year law student self um because then i guess if you're not so concerned about you know what everyone else is doing around you and what everyone else is achieving or the experience that they're gaining um you can really focus on yourself and um and then naturally um opportunities will just come your way i think um but yeah i know it's 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 easier said than done but that's yeah that's what i would do <laughs> i think i'll give a a slightly offbeat piece of advice and say um you should spend some time giving back to your community and and building up knowledge of uh, the charitable sector and of service work. And the reason I say that is that um, as you get more experienced, you get more expensive and there are fewer opportunities to do really substantive pro bono work as you move up the chain. As you do, as when you're grad, you can do a lot. Um, in your first couple of years being associate, you probably can't do quite as much. Um, and because I came into my previous firm with a lot of experience leading charities and um, and sort of in the public sector, like I was able to go to the firm and say, you know, I'd really like to do this work. And they gave me amazing pro bono work. So I was able to represent families of people who had passed away in nursing homes. I was able to represent the families of the deceased and terrorist attacks and um, all kinds of really cool work. And that was because I had that knowledge built up. Um, so I guess that's one piece of advice I would give is that like now is a time when you can um, use your time to give back. Um, so do that to the extent that you can. And that way you can walk into a firm with that background and bring that as well. Because all firms at this level are looking for people who want to do pro bono. It's important. All firms at this level, pro bono is important. When I was hired at White and Case, that was one of the things that they were really excited about was like my pro bono resume. Um, I'm not saying it's the thing that's going to get you hired. It's not your day job, but um, all firms want it. And I think when you're in uni, you have a unique opportunity to, to spend time doing that. So you may as well. Um, and I think also one thing I would add, and just to emphasize what Sheikha said is, if you're in clerkships or your grad rotations, um, it's important to know that the, the ones who are kind of out there schmoozing the partners and making a lot of noise and seeming like they know all the latest deals in the market and that kind of stuff, um, they may they may be very good, depends, but you're not necessarily seeing their work. And we, the associates who are ultimately gonna tell the partners who is a great addition to the team um, are looking at the work. And so it's okay to be quiet if you're quiet. It's okay to be the person who doesn't wanna go out to drinks every night with the team. Um, that's fine uh, if your work is good. Like personally, I don't drink and I don't like to go out to events. Um, so it's always been my view that if my work is good enough, I don't have to. And so um, I, I think that's just something to remember is that if you're not the one who wants to be gregarious and Mr. Head of the Law Society and all that stuff, um, it's okay to, you know, because your work can can show through. Okay, well, what a 
diverse and inspirational way to end. Um, really interesting advice, and I think for two people who are very much in exciting and bustling careers, um, this will be really exciting things for our students to hear. So uh, I think we should wrap it up there. Andrew and Shika from White and Case, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I think our students will be really excited to hear about what you do um, and really inspired by what you had to say. Thanks, See you guys. guys. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Good luck. Bye. Good luck.